0: You're listening to the Midnight Movie Snack Podcast with Chris and Garrett. Hello and welcome to the Midnight Movie Snack Podcast. I'm Chris and tonight Garrett and I skip the movie commentaries for something we've been doing most of our adult life and that's talking about movies, pop culture, and some of our favorite actors. This episode is very similar to the many conversations Garrett and I have had over the years during meals together or after we've seen a movie and we're just hanging out and talking about it. We usually go on several tangents during our conversations, but we always seem to wind up where we begin or where we began. Uh, Tonight, we're going to talk about a lot of stuff. Uh, We start by discussing the new Spider-Man No Way Home trailer that was released this week, we talk about our opinions on what Marvel and DC do right and wrong about their cinematic universes, what we like and dislike about DC's television shows, and from there we go into some rambling about Michael Rosenbaum, Gene Hackman, Anthony Perkins, Psycho, Bates Motel, Freddie Highmore, actress and dancer Anita Morris, her son James Dale. Brad Pitt, Leonardo DiCaprio, Quentin Tarantino, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and probably a lot more I'm forgetting at the moment. Like the title of this episode indicates, this is a grab bag of topics. But it's the closest thing you'll get to sitting with us at the dinner table as we go on our stream of consciousness discussions. So, grab your favorite snack, sit back, and join Garrett and me for our talk about nearly everything under the cinematic sun.
1: Audio anyway.
0: Yeah, so I was thinking about it. I know we had mentioned watching Cannonball Run, which I still want us to watch, even though I know we've gone past the it's anniversary, but um, I don't know. I thought it would be fun just to kind of catch up on things and kind of talk about what's going on in the world of movies these days. So my first question to you is, have you seen the new trailer for the Spider-Man movie?
1: Not only have I seen it, I just watched it again, like probably 10 minutes ago mm-hmm. and, and, and not even and you didn't say anything about this. So I just I was just kind of like it was on my mind. And I watched it again one more time just to kind of like take it in so. yeah
0: well I'm I mean I was looking forward to it before but I'm definitely looking forward to it even more now but I still think Toby and Andrew are gonna show up in it
1: I I totally agree um, I
0: think uh, if they I don't know I feel like they're kind of holding back the the best stuff and I, and I want to say
1: which is good I'm glad because I don't because you know I always hate it when trailers give you too much yeah, you don't or want to spoil too- it but yeah but
0: I think Tom holland recently said like maybe yesterday when the trailer came out he was i think he was quoted as saying oh we're saving the best for last so or something to that effect yeah so so yeah i uh,
1: just my only disappointment that i've and who knows maybe they'll surprise me on this one and maybe i'll have to eat my words to sony and to marvel (laughs) but not have a nicholas hammond in this movie which (laughs) it's really a like, real travesty Yep, it is a travesty it is like going you know it's like and you don't have to you know what you know if, if you had him in there it's, it's one of those things of like they did in um you know in the uh in the an in animated one what's the one that was um spider-man The sp- multi- oh. what was it called
0: well there was there's been a few guys who've done the voice of Spider- no, but like,
1: no, but I talk about the Miles, like Mor- the Miles Morales story, the one that was the.
0: Oh, I don't. Oh, oh, um,
1: you know, what I'm talking about the one yeah, that, was, that was
0: Peter, like the older Peter.
1: Yeah, but I'm talking about the Sony, the Sony. What, what's the name of the movie? Oh, oh the um, Into the Spider Verse. Into the Spider Verse. You know, like I that. I mean, you were they had asking characters. about
0: the voice actor.
1: Yeah, no, I'm sorry. that, but they had characters. You know, it's like you know, like I mean, like some of those did like the Porky Pig, Spider Pig, Porky Pig Sp- thing. Spider-Man. I mean, I mean. Yeah, Spider Ham, whatever it was. It's like, I mean, that I mean, you know, th- that character didn't have much to do in the movie. It wasn't a very prominent figure, you know, in the whole thing. It's like, you know, you could, you could, you can pay homage without having to like give him, you know, I mean, even though he's a good actor, I think I think having him in the movie would be great. But it's like, but you can just it's, you know, you just you can yeah. give you can give Nicholas Hammond, you know, five minutes of screen time and just to just to pay homage to it well, without you having know,
0: So we talked about this, um, not in an episode, but we've talked about this because we went to go see it together um, once upon a time in Hollywood. You know, he plays Sam Wanamaker in that, in the movie, you know, the scene he has with Leo. And, you know, Hammond is of the age now where in the way that he kind of carried himself in that scene, I had a thought like, what If they dressed him up as Stan Lee, <laughs> you know, just kind of, <laughs> I think he could do it. I think he could kind of pull off that, you know,
1: Excelsior, you know. Yeah. That's, you know um, hmm,
0: but, that's yeah. interesting.
1: It, it, I would and love to kind see kind of funny him. since Stan Lee did not like his version of Spider Man, yeah. Uh, but I, but I, but in the article that I read, it wasn't because he didn't like Nicholas Hammond, he didn't, he wanted. They kept that. They kept that series, even it was a very short-lived series. They mm-hmm. kept that series grounded in reality. About yeah, fighting. they really
0: limited it. I felt right, uh, but yeah, I have such fond memories of of Nicholas Hammond. Um, Me too. Me too. You know, I mean, I thought he, they they really he did a great job in that.
1: Um, and you and you and and when I was in New York this summer, I purposefully found a couple locations that they even though a lot of that movie, the movie Spider Man, the movie was filmed in. Or one of the, Sp- the first Spider-Man movie, the pilot, was filmed in Charlie. L.A. Yeah, in like L.A. That. But they filmed a little bit in New York, and I made sure that I went to a couple of locations just to get just to get a couple of shots of yeah of where they were there. So I was, I mean, I mean, I because the same way I was like you, that was a little kid watching that. You know, oh, yeah. that was my first version of Spider-Man, and um,
0: that really yeah. that time period was really like you know we had Spider-Man, and then we had a little later we had the Incredible Hulk. And yeah, you know, Wonder Woman was going on during that time.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, it was just... And then, of course, Superman the movie came out.
1: Yeah, it was, it um, was a good it Superman a a superhero theory. age there.
0: There's a, there's an artist. You, you probably have heard of him. Um, most folks who are into comics have probably heard his name, but Alex Ross um, is an illustrator, and yeah, he's one of my favorites. I mean, I, I love his... A lot of his work, I mean, it looks like it's painted. Like, it's just really... And he he's very much with like the photorealistic, you know, like this these look like real people, like and they and they all look different. Whereas you know some comic book artists, like you know, Superman and Batman look a lot alike, you know, structurally. It's just like if you put a mask on Superman, he'd look just like Batman. But Alex Ross, he uses um, models for his you know drawings. Like he'll use like live actor like live models to kind of base his illustrations off of. But um, he did a piece some time ago where it was like Justice League of the 70s and it was like, uh, or, you know, of the 70s and 80s, and it was Christopher Reeve's Superman, um, Linda Carter's Wonder Woman. Um, and then he actually went into the 90s because he took John Wesley's Ship from The Flash and he took uh, oh, Michael Keaton's Batman. And he, he basically painted this you know, one shot or this one piece of, of them together as if they were the Justice League. And it was really, really cool. So um, that's awesome. Yeah, that was such a great time, though. Just, you know, I mean, obviously these days with all the Marvel movies and TV shows, I mean, like I'm, I'm getting to kind of see it through my youngest son's eyes because you know, he's 11. And, you know, he just, he eats this stuff up. And I know if this stuff had been around when I was his age, I'd be the same way. But I'm just still... Wow. It's funny, though, talking to him about how things were when I was his age, where it's like, oh, yeah, here's what that Spider-Man show looked like. And, you know, of course, he's like, cool, but he's just kind of, I know he's thinking like, man, that looks cheesy. That looks tacky. But I try to explain to him, like, you just got to understand, back then we didn't have CGI. There was no, you know, big budget productions, you know, it was just kind of like they were winging it. Um, But, you know, once you kind of look at it that way, it's like, oh, okay, yeah, it's kind of cool so uh, yeah, yeah. Kinda. <laughs> yeah, kinda. yeah it's trying to be nice um mm-hmm. but yeah so really looking forward to seeing spider-man when it comes out uh i have not seen it yet and oh. <laughs> so my little kaching there that tells me um, i sold the shirt <laughs> so i don't i don't know All what right. shirt but yeah there's a little plug-in i've got it ka and if you hear uh you know the old wah 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 wah, wah that means somebody returned shirt i haven't heard that lately so hopefully good i won't but yeah it's been a busy day today um i guess because people are starting their holiday shopping um anyway uh i know you i I think you've seen it i have yet to see it um and i obviously want to try to steer clear of spoilers in case people are like me and haven't seen it yet um did you get to see the eternals
1: i did get to see it
0: and thumbs up thumbs down
1: i'm thumbs up with it yeah yep yeah it was Um, good you don't have to go into
0: detail but uh in credit scenes anything interesting
1: oh yeah very interesting very two i think there's two okay there's two and um they're both good they're both have some slight like 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 some significant i mean like some significance
0: okay yeah um i imagine i'll probably get around to seeing it eventually um yeah it's you know my kids well it's mostly my youngest um the other two can do with or without marvel movies um they're at that age where they're just like meh. but my 11 year old
1: man everybody these kids are spoiled today i know they are
0: so jaded uh but i think at first he was like interested in seeing it but then i think he either had some friends at school who saw it and he's just kind of like yeah i'll just wait till it comes out on you know Disney plus or something Disney plus or something,
1: Yeah. So, which
0: I don't, you know, I, I gotta be honest. I think we talked about this a little, like, I remember reading a couple of Eternals comics back in the day, you know, like reprints or something like that. And i just remember, like I went through a phase where I really liked Jack Kirby. Cause I think he created the Eternals and I always liked his artwork. I just thought it was really, you know, it's kind of like classic Marvel style when I think of it. And I was like, oh, cool. Jack Kirby came up with this. And I remember reading it and just being like so utterly bored. I was just like, this is the first comic book I've ever looked at. And I'm just like bored. <laughs> just don't. I just don't even want to finish it. And so when I heard that they were doing the Eternals, you know, my initial reaction was, well, you know, when they announced Guardians of the Galaxy, I was kind of like, what? And then they knocked that out of the park. Right, they did. And I was kind of on the fence about the cast. Like, I was kind of like some of them I'm like, yeah, I kind of I like them, but then others I was like, mm. and then, you know, again, I don't want you to be put in a position where you feel like you got to spoil anything, but I just also knowing like the premise of them and knowing like how they're positioned in the trailer. I'm just kind of like, you know, and I'm sure they explain it in some way, but I'm, you know, I'm just like, where were you guys with, when the rest of the Marvel universe needed you? I mean, and I'm sure they probably explained it away, but they do.
1: They, they, I just kind of wish
0: it. I kind of wish that this is one of the problems whenever you're doing kind of this like big cinematic universe, is that there are some things that you come out with later where it's like that really probably would have fit a little better if you introduced it sooner, but they just didn't have that perspective or or that thought of like. Oh yeah, let's tap the Eternals as a property for the movies. Um, but anyway, I mean, I plan I plan to see it, you know, just because I'm I'm definitely a completionist when it comes to these movies. I want to see all of them just to kind of stay on oh, track. Yeah, um,
1: yeah but, they were asked. I mean, like somebody asked them, like it was early on in the movie. someone yeah, said, I, I read. I read something, said, in a, in a, and I'm sure that's been that probably been shown in a trailer or two. But someone said, you know, like where were y'all when Thanos was, you know, happened, or when were y'all when, you know, something else, like, you know, I guess like 9-11 or something like that. Yeah. mentioned something like that. So like they were, they were, they were asked. They, at least a couple of the Eternals were asked that question. So it's, it's been asked and it was, it was, it was answered. Okay. You know, and I think they did a decent job of trying to explain about what their purpose is and about why they were yeah. there and all that kind of stuff and about what they do and. Yeah. And all that. And, and, they, and the cast really does come together pretty well. By the time that, you know, at first you're going, oh my gosh, there's like, even though like we know who half the cast is anyway, I mean, you know, by, you know, like Angela Jolie or whatever, you know, you know, names like that, Salma Hyatt, but, um, but it's, but. Their names in the story, you're like, okay, okay, who am I gonna keep up with? What's his name? What's her name?
0: Yeah, there's I'll so many of... of them. It's like I feel right, like there, there is a card. Like, okay.
1: Yeah, exactly. Who's who? Who's who? But it, by the end, you figure you're figuring it out and it does make sense and it does and it does kind of come together. And you see the story and you see it kind of things come together, and it's um, you know, it's I'm not saying it's my favorite Marvel movie by any means. It's it's not as good as the Avengers but it's a, uh, it, it's a, it's a good story. And that's, and that's, you know, that's what you can ask for in any movie. I don't think it's, um, let me ask you this. Says, somebody says a little, it's a little bit more serious than that. It probably is, but that's okay. I don't mind that. And it, it but it has it still has some humor to it. So it's not like it's totally void of all fun or um, yeah. anything like that. So let I think let me it ask was, you
0: this. Um, and I'm trying to ask this question delicately. You know, I don't want to put you in a place where you're like, well, I guess you could just say, if I tell you, it'll spoil it. But my question is this, is this movie like a one shot or is it intended to be kind of like the Avengers movie where it's like, oh, they'll be back or, you know, they'll wind up over in this movie or, or is it more of a self-contained like this is the Eternals movie and it's just, that's all it is.
1: I don't, that's hard. I don't, I, and it's not, it's not hard for me to answer because I don't want to spoil anything. It's hard for me to answer that question because it's like, I think we're going to see some, some elements going forward from this because of who they introduce. And I'll, and that, I, that I can't spoil for you, but, and that goes back to the post to a couple of characters that have some, some very side characters that get that, very minor sub characters. They end up, that look like they're going to have some major. Mm-hmm. So yes, I think from this movie we're going to get. So we're going to we're introduced to a couple of people. I think they're going to be that we're going to see mm-hmm. long term. Um, and there could be, and I, I don't know which ones that would be. Really, I, I have to think it through a little bit. But I think we'll see some. We'll, we'll probably see some element of the Eternals.
0: Let me ask you this: um, Are they aware of the multiverse? Does that crop up in this in the movie?
1: I'm trying to think if it's brought up.
0: I just mm. I thought if there's ever a movie or a set of characters where they're like, oh yeah, the multiverse, yeah, oh yeah, we visit it often, you know, like it would be the Eternals.
1: I don't. Then- I don't remember. If I And in, I don't remember if that was mentioned or not. And I don't. And like it doesn't. Like nothing comes to mind that. Yeah. And, and and someone could be listening to this and go really I call that in this you know i don't <laughs> you totally know, missed it <laughs> I, I, I may have so I will say well so, yeah you know, well, like nothing I, sticks out in my mind you know
0: the one the one thing you know we've talked about this off and on I know we haven't talked about this on an episode that I can recall but I know we've talked about in this this in the past and I think we've talked about it in relation to DC and their movies but one of the things that I so admire and respect about Kevin Feige and the rest of the kind of the brains behind the Marvel cinematic universe is that I feel like they've done a really good job of kind of being air traffic controller with all these different properties and kind of orchestrating them in a way where one movie sets up another or it pays off a previous film or a character from one film can appear in another and it and what's so great about that is that you know that was done in the comic books all the time crossovers you know the the marvel team-ups that spider-man would have with other characters
1: and i love those things oh absolutely those were some of my favorites
0: and and i think like we were talking about our experiences with superhero properties when we were a kid like the idea so you had the Spider-Man TV show with Nicholas Hammond. You had Bill Bixby and the Incredible Hulk. The idea of even being able to work it out with the various studios and stuff that, oh, we're going to do a crossover with Spider-Man and the Hulk. I mean, it it wouldn't, it wouldn't happen. It couldn't happen because there would probably be lawyers involved. There would probably be just all this stuff to that would just make it almost, would well, make it impossible to happen. And I think what's really been cool about cinematic universe from the get-go is that no we're going to get ahead of all that we're going to make sure that all of these different characters can basically they'll play together at some point or they could play together um and so i just think they've done that really well i just feel like you know by contrast dc universe it's been kind of hit or miss with it like i think they've tried to mimic that but with just kind of mixed results i feel like marvel just is much more integrated and much more you know, seamless going from movies to television to sequels to even the animated stuff, like you know, the whole what if series that was on Disney Plus, even though those are kind of like alternate universe stories, they still in some way really tie back to the movies or the TV shows in a way that's like, you know, you just really get a sense of like wow, this is this really is a cinematic universe. There, there's well they
1: have a, a plan and that's yeah. I think a really good orchestrated plan. And that's mm-hmm. something I think DC lacks and it's not in anybody who's listening in it's like going i think you and i both agree we are dc fans too it's not just like we're marvel fans we like dc yeah you know i like i love the characters there as well so it's not like i'm a am marvel biased by any means but you that gotta man, give man. you gotta give marvel credit mm-hmm. especially feige from for setting this up where there is a somebody's i guess it's a control and, the, and there's mm-hmm. i'm sure he's got multiple people under him you know, who's just like, um, like John Favreau. I mean, like, yes. that's gotta be part of the brain trust people yeah. like him who, you know, who you can, who can part of it and also direct as well. And they can keep the movies. So you can, you can go a certain way. You got freedom to go that way, but you're also, you're also tying back in to the main storyline that's going to go right. That's going forward. And, you know, and that's how, and I and I feel like that DC was trying to trying to mimic that. I think they, I think they, they tried to force it, and I think we, you know, I've talked, talked about this many times before, not on on uh, on podcast format, but we talked other times. But like, I've really felt like they just, they wanted to catch up so quickly. That's why, like, they rushed Justice League, you know. I and think I think, and, right. and I feel like if they just would have took their time and said, okay, we're behind when it comes to when it comes to the big plan, but we're yes. going to get there, and when we do. We're going to crush it. And I mean, and I'm, I'm not saying they're going to crush Marvel, but they're going to crush it on their own. And who knows, maybe they would have crushed Marvel. Uh, but they had, but I feel like they had this, and that's probably like Warner Brothers, and that's, and that's where probably where you have, it's not just, it's, it's not blaming DC. You're probably blaming the, you know, the some of the powers that be at Warner Brothers. Or, Absolutely. Or somewhere. I, that, I think that that, that, that is
0: the issue there where <sighs> Warner Brothers, I think, if you read any of the history behind some of the DC properties that they tried to get off the ground. I mean, there was that whole period where Tim Burton was supposed to do a Superman movie and Kevin Smith got roped in to write the screenplay for it. And John Peters, I think it was, who was the producer, like had a bunch of cockamamie ideas. Like, I think a lot of it has to do on the studio side, not so much the DC side where you've got, Warner Brothers, I think has had producers and had executives Who just they don't get the comics. They they look at it as, oh well yeah the comics are really popular but let's just totally reimagine it, and it's like, it's kind of like they want to make it their own instead of recognizing that this is a property the the comics, is what the people love and I think Marvel very wisely at the beginning, it wasn't just Kevin Feige or or even Stan Lee like they enlisted some of the top marvel comics writers and like the editors and got them involved from what i understand at the at the initial outset because they wanted to make sure they hit the right tone they, they struck the right balance of we want to be respectful of the comics but we also want to give it you know um a cinematic polish cinematic spin and um so i think the difference is that the big wigs behind Marvel at Disney, Kevin Feige, all those guys, John Favreau, they have tremendous respect for the, the source material. I think on the flip side, Warner Brothers has, in my opinion, consistently shown just a lack of understanding or really like knowing their audience. I think that's what it really boils down to. Marvel Cinematic Universe, I feel like they know their audience and they are really developing things for their audience. DC, Warner Brothers, I think, I don't know, they're just like, let's make it dark, let's make it gritty, and it's like, have you asked people, Do they have, they? have you actually asked them, do they want dark and gritty, and I'm sure there's probably some, you know, comic book geeks who, you know, are in their 40s and, you know, still collecting, you know, comics and run a comic book store or something like that, you know, they're like, yeah, we like it dark and gritty, but I think Marvel really does a good job of remembering that, yes, there are kids who are now adults who grew up on this stuff, but there's a whole generation of kids now. And you got to remember them. DC doesn't remember them. I mean, case in point, while I think it looks fantastic and I look forward to seeing it, the new Batman movie that's going to be coming out next year.
1: Oh, look, yeah, I'm, I'm really excited about that.
0: You know, but honestly, I look at it and I go, I don't know if it's going to be appropriate for kids. Like, It anyway, may not. Good looks very dark. It looks very violent. And I know people say, well, that's what Batman is. I'm like, well, you know, I would point to like the animated series, you know, where um, with you know, Kevin Conroy, who did the voice of Batman, like that appealed to a, a wide audience. It appealed to adults. It appealed to kids because it respected the source material and it didn't go over the top. And I feel like DC loves to go over the top. I mean, if you look at any of the stuff that they're doing on what was originally DC universe. And now they've moved over to HBO max, some of their animated stuff, some of their uh, live action TV shows. I mean, uh, you know, maybe, maybe they've decided that, you know, DC caters to a more adult audience. Okay. But I think you, you're just shooting yourself in the foot. Whereas Marvel, they're like, Hey, we can create something that appeals both to young and old. And I think that's why they've been more successful.
1: Okay, I just looked this up while you were because this yeah. was where we talked about this. Okay, you and I went to see the Dark Night mm-hmm. at in Raleigh at the IMAX theater. Yep, and it was you know and we could talk about how fantastic that movie was. The whole that that trilogy, you know, and it was yeah. But I remember, and I remember us. We, we we talked about this afterwards, and and you're probably the one that told me about this. You said there was somebody from 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 Warner Brothers said. Since they had such great success with that, they are going to make all their DC properties dark. I found the article mm-hmm. and it goes, um, Superman, a straight arrow DC comic superhero, hasn't fared well, so, so well on screen. It's headed for a dose of darkness a la the Dark Knight. Warner Brothers, not mm-hmm. DC, Warner Brothers, Pictures Group President Jeff Rabinov, Rabinov, whatever, told the Wall Street Journal that the studio will mimic the heavy tone of this summer's successful Batman flick in an attempt to, and I think that's where it goes. Uh, mm-hmm. Oh, an attempt to duplicate the Dark Knights box office haul. And, yeah. if, and if anybody knows comics, it's like going, you know, Superman and Batman are two different characters, and it's almost like yin and yang. It's like going, they are day and night. Yeah, that, yeah that, that's what, and that's it to me. It's like you just look at how, you know, like how Marvel did. Iron Man, which you know, Iron Man is not so much dark. He's just that he's just a different type of character. Mm-hmm. But how they treated Captain America and in, in that, and they had this, this opposite relationship. And sometimes there's a lot of friction, but they the, but there's there's a respect and a friendship there. Yeah. Just like Batman and Superman have that time. Sometimes they they get on each other's nerves. Sometimes they're they have opposite. You know, he thinks he's the good boy. You know, he's the Boy Scout, and he's the He's the bad boy or we don't, whatever Mm -hmm. else, you know, like the vigilante. It's like, there's this yin and yang thing going on. You don't have to make Superman be Batman. And and we don't need, we don't need Batman to be, to be Superman. It's like they're, you know, and so that's, I I mean, I mean, that there's, that shows me, that goes back to that remember that, that whole, that whole conversation that we had years ago, that's 2008 talking about they want to make because, because one movie is successful You want to make it, every. you want to try to copy that across the board. And that's not.
0: Yeah. I I just think it's, it's very narrow, old school movie making producing thinking and, you know, talking about what Jeff Romanoff said, you know, so then we got the man of steel and no offense to Henry Cavill. I think he's a terrific actor. And I think, I'm going to say something and I'm probably if anybody's listening, you know, they might, it might be an inflammatory statement. I don't think he was as good as a Superman as he could have been.
1: Oh, I think I, I if he had that. had, think-
0: if he had had a better script, if he had had a better director, if he had had a better creative leadership, like a Kevin Feige, because the things that they did in man of steel, um, I just remember coming away from it like I went into it really wanting to love it, like I loved the Dark Knight movies. But I was like, I we like you said the conversation. I'm like, Superman's not dark. Making Superman dark is a huge mistake. And so going into Man of Steel when we saw it, I remember when it ended. I just felt really disappointed. Um, like there were parts of it I really liked. Like I thought the casting was really good. Like oh I yeah, really, great. Cast. I really liked diane lane and kevin costner as mom pa kent like there were so many elements in place where i'm like
1: it should have been great this
0: could yeah exactly this should have in a movie that like i'm not saying it makes you forget christopher reeve and what he did as superman but at least like this is on par with that like because you know henry cavill i mean he he's got the looks he's got the just the the charisma, He's got, he's got all got the
1: acting things. chops. He's got the Absolutely. chops to do it both Absolutely. ways. He can do both sides.
0: And, and I just hate it for him because I felt like he got, he, you know, and Zach Snyder as a director, I kind of, he's done some good stuff in the past. And I think he's, he's very passionate about what he does. I mean, I've seen interviews with him and, and so in that respect, I, I, res, I, I respect him as a filmmaker and, um, because he's passionate about what he does, and, and, and that's certainly important. But I just felt like this movie lacked Kevin Feige and the rest of the Marvel kind of creative force in stopping and going, we don't need to innovate on this character, okay? Superman works, like the comics work, the character works. It has been proven in movies that he works. But making him dark is getting him away from you know, making the story dark is getting him away from what makes Superman, Superman. And, and so even, you know, the the movies that followed, you know, Batman versus Superman, Justice League. Again, it's like, there are parts of it I like, but I certainly don't have that same level of satisfaction like I have with the Marvel movies. You know, like the Avengers movies coming out. I'm like, man, that was awesome. I can't wait for the next one. With the DC stuff, I'm like, it's okay <laughs> it's just okay i wish i hope it's better next time um and you know they've in DC has had some hits i mean i love shazam
1: i thought shazam, wonder really woman Man, the first wonder woman was fantastic The second oh, yeah, one was absolutely. good yeah the first yeah. one was, was it was was, was first great.
0: one was phenomenal
1: i mean aquaman was a fun movie it, there's you fun. know like there's a sense of you know there's yeah. a there's one that was
0: i felt like you know, that was their guardians of the galaxy in a way it was like it was a fun movie and and Jason Momoa was just, I, you know, I had a hard time at first when when they I heard they cast him, I was like kind of trying to envision him as Aquaman. But his movie, his solo movie, he won me over. I mean, he won me over in Justice League, but he really won me over in his solo movie. And then Shazam is the one like I took my youngest to see that, and I think he and I wound up seeing it. We saw it twice in the movie theaters, and then we've we, we saw we saw it
1: with you. We saw you yeah, the first time.
0: That's right. So, you know, I, I thought that, again, that was a really fun movie. And I felt it was fairly faithful to the source right. material.
1: And I'm looking I'm forward sure to seeing one. the sequel to that. That's going oh, to be
0: totally, great. totally. Um, so it's not like, I think they can do it. It's just, they've got to, I really think it comes down to the mindset of looking at the source material and respecting the source material instead of going, hey, how can we change this? You know, it's like no. If you if you're going about it that way, you just need to to ex- recuse yourself and go do something else because you need people right. in there who really value the source material and are like, how can we do this justice on the screen without, justice. yeah, exactly, without alienating you know your customers or you know the, the fan base. Um,
1: and that's something now. To, and to give credit now, that's where DC TV. Killed it for, I mean, I mean, like they've, they've been, they've been killing it for a long time, you know, with, with air. I mean, which arrow went off track to me, you know, after like, I don't know, three or four seasons, it kind of started to get crazy. But, but the flash, but, but, but the way they did it, but the way they would work together to like incorporate all of them doing crossovers and whatever, mm-hmm. that that, that somebody had a, had a hand yeah. in that. And that was the and and that was pretty well done overall I mean you could you could you know people can argue about certain things about they didn't like or whatever but they did a really good job of trying to incorporate you know you know the you know the legends of tomorrow and yeah supergirl and they had an old
0: crisis on infinite earth right and they, and, and they
1: did that they, and they did all that kind of stuff and that was cool I mean so every time they had these crossover events people loved it I mean I loved it when they did it mm-hmm. um it wasn't always the best but it was like yeah. but it was it was still pretty fun. And so I think that's, that's one thing they did get, I would say they got right, you know, the majority of the time, even though. So
0: let me ask you this. Do you, you think they, they got it right? Like what's your take on, so I know that they had attempted at a couple of points to try and bring the DC cinematic universe kind of in, into some of that, like especially with the uh, crisis on infinite earths, apparently there was a scene shot with uh, Ezra yeah, plays the Flash in the Justice League with that was uh, cool. Grants. And then they're apparently, they weren't able to work it out, but Michael Keaton was, they were trying to get him to appear in a scene um, as like the, the Batman of his universe kind of thing. But I think they kind of decided to use that for the upcoming Flash movie. Um,
1: would be really cool.
0: But, my, you know, I'll be the first to admit, you know, like kind of disclosure. I, I've watched some of the DC TV shows. Like I watched the first few episodes of Supergirl. I watched uh, maybe the first half season of Flash. Watched a couple of episodes here and there of Arrow and Legends of Tomorrow, but never really like got super into it um, because it just felt like, and this isn't the, the main, this isn't the reason why I didn't get into them, but the thought that like when you looked at like the Marvel TV shows, like there was at least at first there was always this sense that this is tied to the cinematic universe it may be indirect but they're right. operating in the same world whereas with the dc stuff it was very much like this is a different universe like you know and they, they that's where i think crisis on infinite earths really hey, paid off is that they're saying yeah this is not the cinematic universe but you know it's out there uh, kind of thing so it kind of made but i remember you know just not almost kind of keeping the shows at arm's length because I'm like, oh, you know, it's like I look at Marvel. I'm like, yeah, I can kind of get into that because I know that what they're doing here, that may show up in a movie later on, or it may, you know, there may be some echo back to something. And and I just felt like with, uh, with the DC stuff, you know, but um, there are elements of those DC, DC shows that I, that I like. Um, you know, I think, again, that's a case where, I, I really like some of the casting. Like I think Grant is really good as the Flash. He's really I love good. Melissa as Supergirl. Uh, at least I I didn't really watch anything beyond the first season, but the first few episodes like I really thought, yeah, she's a great casting choice for for Supergirl. Um I've not watched the Superman and Lois series.
1: I actually enjoy, I enjoy that. I've watched I've been watching that one and that's better than I uh yeah, that's better than I thought it was going to be. Yeah. Uh. I really, I like his take on Superman. Uh, I really do. Um, I mean, for TV, I mean, I don't, I don't know how that would transpose into the to the to the big screen, but it's, but he he does a good job for the TV version, yeah of it. I mean, he really does. Uh, yeah, I know. I mean, so yeah. I mean, it goes back to that. I mean, like with the Flash, the Flash don't want to set up the whole like the different Earths. Like kind of like the multiverse, I guess would be for the yeah. for the Marvel stuff. I mean, but they're the ones who really set up this whole other Earth thing. In his going, being able to use the speed and different, you know, I forgot what I can forgot. Travel back and
0: forth between them, right?
1: Right. He can he can do this stuff, and they figure out you know all that kind of stuff, and so that kind of set up that. But yes, you're correct. Like DC Limited, at different times, like they were going to introduce some characters on Arrow early on, and they were like. Every and, and they and they did a couple times and then they almost had to like DC kind of like put the clamps on them, and so like then so like some of those characters got either got killed off or they got all of a sudden were just kind of written off. I forgot how they did. I I forgot. I can't remember now the all the details. But was that where like Arrow lady?
0: was that um, because they were like no you can't yeah they didn't move. want they
1: didn't want people you know the whole it's it's the same reason they talked about like on, on Smallville early on, they're saying about why they couldn't do certain things. Oh, so people are gonna get confused and all this kind of stuff. I was like, people are gonna get confused. We know the difference between you know Smallville Superman and you know yeah. and in this. if what or or even the same way was you know like when they were when they were casting for Superman in the Superman movies, we're talking about how what a great even in how much I love Tom Wellings. And I think, he, I think he would have been a great Superman for the big screen too. I would love to see his take on it, but Michael Rosenbaum to me is, he is by far, I mean, couldn't agree more. I, I think to me, he's, the, he's in my mind, he's the best, he's the best Lex Luthor there is. And, yeah. and I grew up with Gene hatman and I thought, and I know it's a different take, and I think Gene yeah, Hackman. Totally. Gene Hackman's got the chops to do it. To do it as well.
0: Let me let me say something. I think that might help help you. Yep. With what you're saying, Gene Hackman plays a great old school Lex Luthor. but the more modern yes. interpretation of Lex Luthor is Michael Rosenbaum. Like he nailed that. You know, instead of being like this, like mad scientist or mad evil genius, whatever, he's a very cool, calculating. Very, you know, savvy. Very, you know, like, you know, he's in control. Like he, right. he, he owns. Every, he walks into the room like he owns everybody, and he, he does. He owns everybody. But, um, but, but he, he has, has, such a, has that
1: ability to be your. He's so he's so likable. Oh yeah. I mean, I mean, he and he's a very funny guy in real life. I mean, he's mm-hmm. hilarious. Yeah, yeah but I love he, his podcast. But he, but I mean. Some of his work on Smallville, man, he should have won an Emmy. I mean, that's how good oh, – yeah. he's yes. so good. I mean, it's like he could play – he could be Clark's best friend yeah. and then he could be his evil and play that part to be like – it was believable. That's the and that's the key. It's like That's the
0: thing. Well, you know, I've always held – and I know I'm probably borrowing this or stealing this from somebody who – somebody greater, <laughs> more talented than I am in saying this, but um, he made – Such a three-dimensional villain, in that you cared about him, like you cared about Lex. I mean, even though he could be the villain, and he's totally the opposite of Clark, it was at odds with Clark. He was adversarial. He added so much depth to Lex that you cared about him, and you want to care about them, even if you're not rooting for the villain. If if you understand why he is after what he's after and it's something that's important enough like it really gets you behind the idea that okay I may not be rooting for him but I I, I value or I appreciate what he adds to the story and yeah I, I couldn't I couldn't agree more like Rosenbaum and, and even like with John Cryer which I know his his role his performance as Lex Luthor you know it's good uh, what I've seen of it yeah oh, it's good enough. But honestly, I'm going to go out there on a limb and say, if there was no Michael Rosenbaum, there would have been no John Cryer. Like Cryer is a great actor, but I think Rosenbaum did such a great job. He really set the bar for like a modern Lex Luthor as this savvy, cool, calculating villain who is always two steps ahead of everybody else. Um, but yeah, I was really, you know, if, if there's anything that I was disappointed with um, when Man of Steel, uh, even the Crisis on Infinite Earths, that they did not tap Rosenbaum for a larger part in that. Like, you know, like, was it Jesse Eisenberg played Lex Luthor in the the DC and movie? And Jesse
1: is a great, it's a good actor. He is He's a great actor,
0: but he's not yeah. Lex Luther, but
1: he's not Lex Luther. and that was I was a bad and with in the and the sad part about it is when you picked a Ben affleck to be your Batman, which I have no problems with that, right? It is but he's a, he's old he's the older Batman than what we're used to, which um he's my age, so I'll say that. but you know, he's playing the older Batman than right. what we're than what the you know, is, but Michael Rosenbaum is about the same age is, as, as we are. He's same age as, you know, he's close to my age and your age. Yep. Same thing as Ben Affleck. It would, it, it would have played better having him be, you know, or someone like him, but I'm missing yeah. saying that he would have been perfect. than having like a, a 20, you know, a 29 year old, whatever Jesse yeah. Eisenberg playing the role. It just didn't make, it didn't make a lot of, yeah. it didn't make a lot of sense.
0: I think about some of the comics um, in the past, 20 years, as well as the animated series um, that Warner Brothers did, there was always this kind of undercurrent that Lex Luthor and Bruce Wayne were peers, in that they both were multimillionaires. They both owned their own companies. They both were like power players. And I think I could totally see Ben Affleck and Michael Rosenbaum at like. I could see them as, oh yeah, Bruce Wayne and Lex Luthor, you know, they're involved in all these things together, ventures or business deals. They try to, you know, because they're close in age, but also I I feel like Rosenbaum, I would have really liked to have seen Rosenbaum and and Affleck, you know, kind of crossing swords or so to speak, you know? Yeah. Oh,
1: definitely. I I mean, to see, it would be, it would be amazing. I mean, it really, I mean, and it's a shame. I mean, you know, it's, Yeah, I keep holding
0: out hope that somehow, somewhere down the road, Rosenbaum will get a chance to revisit that character. Because now that he's older, you know, I I think I would like to see his Lex Luthor, you know, as a 50 year old, um, because I think like I really like I think that would be really interesting. Um,
1: Because here's the deal. I mean, he still looks he's a he's a he's a he's a handsome guy. Yeah. He's still he's, he's 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 still in good shape. He still yeah, he's still taking care of himself. Yep. Take care of himself. It's like going, you know, he shapes the head. I mean, it doesn't look, you know, he he probably doesn't look that much different than forty year old Lex Luthor would have looked, mm-hmm. you know, even though yeah. he was older than forty or he was younger than forty when he quit the Smallville show. But still, I mean, it would have, I mean, it would have been, I mean, yeah, I mean, he still would bring that maturity, but at the same time, youthfulness. Mm-hmm. You know, he's not gonna be an old he's a, like, no offense to Kevin Spacey, he's not gonna he's not gonna be Kevin Spacey's age Mm-mm. looking, you know, playing it. And he's not and he's our Gene Hatman, or he or he actually could be Gene Hattman's age, he just looks younger. I don't know. I yeah. mean, I don't know how old Gene was when he did Superman, but uh,
0: well I just have to mention speaking of Michael Rosenbaum, while you know he's a fantastic Lex Luthor, um, you know, he did the voice of the flash. In the animated series for like yeah. Justice League, you know, and he was a terrific Flash. um I, I mean, he just he nailed that character, and it was so. I remember just really my appreciation for him as an actor deepened because I'm like, here's this guy playing Lex Luthor, who is like one of the top DC villains, and here he is playing the Flash in the cartoon. And what I loved about his performance as the Flash, like you could tell he was having fun. Like he really gave the flash, the sense of like, you know, he's like the rookie on the Justice League team, kind of like what they did in the movie, but he was so just had this, injected this humor into it that like really made him. Yeah,
1: because he's a uh, fun guy. He, he yeah. really is a fun guy. I mean, yeah. Lex Luthor is not, I mean, yeah. you could, I mean, he's acting when he's playing that role. I mean, yeah. He's a good yeah. actor. Yeah, oh, yeah, definitely. speaking of this, uh, Gene Hadman would probably was about 47 when wow when he did superman so yes he could definitely we
0: are now
1: (laughs) yeah exactly that's what i'm like going. oh my gosh so remember that movie
0: came out i thought he was like so old
1: (laughs) it's speaking oh hold on is gene is one
0: of my favorite actors of all time i love gene
1: oh i love gene have yes i'm i'm the same in
0: my opinion he can do no wrong he's not i mean there's been some movies he's been in that haven't been great but he's always good
1: and let's just let me check this. Oh, we did well. Okay. I've already it's already passed, but three days ago was the 35th anniversary of Hoosers. Yes, came out on uh, November 14th, 1986.
0: I know we we're, I think we were supposed to do,
1: we, yeah, we talked for about that. it and, uh, but that's okay. I mean, it's this just is, like we can, we'll, we can we'll, grab I know it. next
0: week being Thanksgiving, you know, we're taking the week off. Um, and we've already got. Um, one of our favorites lined up, Yes,
1: um, which wait. I don't want
0: to, I don't want to spoil, but, uh, it's a movie, uh, you know, I'm kind I'll be honest with you, I'm, I'm a glutton for punishment, but I'm, I haven't listened to the audio recording we did for that commentary. I'm kind of hoping the audio is bad so we can watch it again because <laughs> it is, it's one of my favorites and especially, uh, at this time of year, I'm sure anybody yeah, savvy great. enough probably knows what we're talking about, but, um, but yeah, that's going to, we're going to have that coming out.
1: Um, well, when I just got through mentioning that, yeah, you know, it was like, it's, it's November. So yeah, yeah. I think people can probably,
0: <laughs> yeah, they, they can probably <laughs> figure out what we're,
1: use your Batman detective skills, people, <laughs> detective <laughs> comics at this finest. Tell me need
0: this listeners. <laughs> um, yeah. So, uh, but yeah, I think we probably need to, maybe we can, um, work Hoosiers in because I haven't seen it in a long time and I love it and Gene Hackman and Dennis Ho- uh, Dennis Hopper
1: yeah um, oh my gosh he was great fantastic
0: that's such a great movie um yeah so let's see I was trying to think is there anything else now one of, thing's
1: cool real quick I'll mention this yeah. now I now have to I have to look back and see which ones I can't remember everything but like this the year of 86 yeah it had like I think it was hold on it was like there was there was um wildcats, which we did um with Goldie Hawn, That's football, yep, okay, and then and obviously Hoosiers came out in eighty six I think vision Quest came out in eighty six it it's a wrestling Gosh, movie
0: vision quest
1: um uh, and now there's <laughs> like one more I think I can't remember i i I felt like there was like this was like the like eighty six was like a year of like sports movies of some kind. And, that was uh, a
0: good year. 86 was a good year for cinema. It
1: re- yeah, for it really film. was.
0: But yeah, was. that now you just mentioned something that I know we've talked about previously offline, but um, I want us to do a commentary for Vision Quest because I oh, love, yes. love that movie. I watched it again um, over the summer and I hadn't seen it in years. And it's the first movie I've watched in a long time where as I was watching it, I was I loved the story but I felt myself getting very emotional because it was just bringing me back to that time period when I saw it I was a teenager and so much of what the movie's about like as an adult now I just like oh man I totally like every it was hitting the right notes for me when it came out and uh it was just like oh man it's just like
1: I watched that movie multiple times on, I, and, if, and if I did, if, if it was on HBO, I either I had rented it and copied it, like made my own copy on VCR yeah. and watched that. I mean, in you know, and of course Madonna having a very small cameo, that was great.
0: Yeah, uh, that soundtrack, yeah, the, the soundtrack soundtrack is probably, is probably one of the best '80s movie soundtracks, in my opinion. I mean, just the journey and all the other great yep. bands on it. It's just oh, like. Yep. The song that Journey does, um, "Only the Young." Oh man, that's such a good song. Um, but yeah, talking about this, like we definitely need to.
1: We yeah, we did really it. Yeah, definitely because it really is. It's under. It's one of those that just kind of gets it, it. gets lost. It's underappreciated, it but it really is good. It's well, you <laughs> know it's
0: it's interesting because I know it's popped up on some of the Facebook channels that you and I are on that are all about eighties movies. And it's one of the few movies that when, if it comes up, it's everybody comes out of the woodwork. like I love that movie. That was like one of the best movies ever, but you're right. It just gets lost in the shuffle of like John Hughes movies and all the other teen movies that were out at that time. And I'm like, you know, it is in my opinion, like I would put it up there in terms of like, not like non John Hughes movies to me, vision quest, And Fast Times at Ridgemont High, I think, are just two of the best teen high school movies from that from the eighties.
1: Right, and it's weird because it's you know, and I don't know. I I think it's because part of it's because there's like there's nobody in the movie that just like that that ended up having. I mean, I mean, like Matthew Modine had a great career. Don't get me wrong, Mm -hmm. but it's like he never reached. That level. Know what you saying, yeah. You know what I'm saying. And the same thing. And even though it had, you know, it had it had Jake from, from
0: Michael Shoffling,
1: you know, Michael Shoffling from Sixteen Candles, which yeah. he's fantastic. But his his scroll great. was great. and he's great there. That shows you his acting ability was Total phenomenal. Range. I mean, yeah. he 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 was nothing like Jake. Oh, I mean, that's two which, different, which which, it which makes opposites. it, yeah, which makes it awesome. I mean, yeah. he had the I mean, mohawk he going different. on, and I mean, it was.
0: And then, like you know, Linda Fiorentino who you know i've always like especially back in the 80s i thought she was just absolutely oh she was that was that was some, and, and, those like, are some and great then, scenes oh yeah and then even like when she wound up on in the first men in black movie um just thought she was not only a, a wonderfully talented actress but just a beautiful actress but i know i'd always read that there, she had a reputation for being difficult um apparently there's a reason why she wasn't in the sequels to men in black, Um, even though they had set it up that she was going to be, you know, like, cause they had set her up as Will Smith's partner, but apparently she just was so difficult to work with that Barry Sonnenfeld, the director was like not having her back. And then who else was it that she worked with? She did a movie with Kevin Smith and Kevin was like, I'll never work with her again um, because she was just so difficult. And I don't even think she acts anymore. Um, I think she's retired from acting, but, um, but it's a shame. Cause she's, she's really talented. It's, it always seems like there's there's actors out there who they do really good work. Um, they're really talented, but they're just, because they're difficult, nobody works with them and they don't, and, they're not able to and, do as much.
1: And then you get people like Lawrence Turney, who was in silver bullet. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, and, and and he has a very difficult mm-hmm. history And and that guy was like, he was still getting offers to do all kinds of stuff, even to his, you know, so it shows you that in his case that obviously if you're good enough, you're really good enough, people still work with you, no matter matter how crazy you are.
0: You know, I do think it's probably, there's a little bit of gender bias there. Not that I'm, you know, I I tend to usually stay away from these topics, but I do think that, and I, and I can say this from what I experienced when I worked in the film industry, There there was at a time, I think, more of a tolerance for difficult actors than there were for difficult actresses. Um, We had a difficult actress on one of the things I worked on. And we also had a difficult male lead. And the producer and director, like, they wouldn't have dreamed of replacing the male lead. But the whole time they were like, can we can this actress and replace her? I mean, they were like getting ready to fire her, even though they had shot for like two or three weeks. And it was like a eight week shoot. So they were like halfway, you know, and they were saying, can we replace her? And they wound up just delivering an ultimatum to her, like get your mess together or you're out of here. And she kind of stumbled her way through doing the rest of it, but she was not pleasant to work with. I don't think anybody on the cast or crew really liked her. Um, but the male lead, you know, he had his little, foible quirks and things like that he was maybe not as difficult but he he could be difficult and they, they were way more tolerant to that so yeah i think sometimes it can be a kind of a bias but uh, and, I'm,
1: and, I, and i'm sure you're not talking about the partner of of loudon's dad who ronnie cox <laughs> <laughs> no, no yeah I, yeah we no. won't go into who you're actually talking about what yeah, the, we definitely won't
0: yeah yeah um yeah so think we got a a lot to look forward to um so uh, i was going to mention so you know uh for those who follow garrett on instagram with his all things 80s with garrett (laughs) and and follow the podcast with the midnight movie snack podcast so i guess it was about a month ago or so we went to go see uh alfred hitchcock's psycho in the movie theater um which was an awesome experience um it was just amazing seeing it on the big screen. Um, It really, you know, having seen it many, many times on television and on DVD, seeing it on the big screen was just a totally different, it was amazing experience. But the reason why I mentioned that is, um, I don't know if you were aware of it or ever watched it, but you know, um, A&E had a, a TV series for a few years called Bates Motel. And it was essentially a prequel to Psycho, but it was set in modern times. Um, the streaming service that I use uh, that we've talked about before, they have the entire run. And so I've started to watch that. And it's, uh, it's really impressive, uh, like just how they've reimagined some things and how they've moved it to modern times. And the uh, actor that plays uh, Norman in this is uh, Freddie Highmore, who's awesome. in The Good Doctor. And also yeah. he was Charlie. He is, he is phenomenal. And I know I'm kind of late to the party because the mo- the the show is come and gone. Uh, and I know it had some popularity when it was out, but uh, I'm just kind of discovering it and I'm like, wow. And then um, Norma Bates, Norman's mother is uh, played by Vera. I don't forget how you say her last name. I think it's Farmiga or I forget, but she's been in a lot of stuff and she is just fantastic as Norman's mother. I mean, you kind of get a window into this woman, just all of her quirks and just how she kind of has a hand in shaping Norman to become the person that he becomes that we know from the psycho movie. And apparently the last season of Bates Motel, which I'm I'm still on the first season right now, but the last season is like a reimagining of Psycho. So the last season is actually sci- the Psycho story but told hmm. across 10 episodes or whatever. interesting. Um, and uh, it's, it's, I'm looking forward to it because after seeing it on the big screen and then I yeah. started watching the show, I'm like, uh, yeah, it's, it's really cool to see how they're setting things up. You kind of can go, Oh yeah, this is going to happen later on. And, but uh, Freddie is just, he's terrific as Norman. I mean, he really, you know, you, for years, and, and certainly when we saw the movie in the theaters, it's like, oh, Anthony Perkins was just amazing as Norman, and he was so iconic as Norman, but I have to say, Freddie has really taken it, he took it and really made it his own, and, you know, he, he makes Norman very likable and very much like you're rooting for him, but then he'll do something, you're like, this t- this kid is like, he's trouble, like, he, he is going to hurt somebody soon. Um, and he just, is it
1: like is is it, is it kind of like Dexter where you where you where there's times where you, some feel, you feel for him and then other times you go yeah he really is he's the only thing that's different
0: is I would say Norman in Bates Motel is there's more of an innocence to him than there is Dexter is like he knows what he is and he embraces Truman, what passenger he is. yeah and he has the code Harry's code the Norman is like like you get a sense of like there are two sides of him that are fighting and. You know, his devotion to his mother and they've also they've added some characters like he has a half brother who lives with them in in the first season, at least Um, as far as I can, you know, like, I don't know if he's around for the future seasons, but he's an older brother figure. And he's kind of at first, he's kind of like a a bad presence in uh, Norman's life. But then over the course of these episodes, you see that he actually cares about Norman and he's trying to get Norman away from his mother because he sees how crazy she is and he's like she's really going to mess this kid up i got to get him out of this situation and so he's trying to be a positive influence in norman's life and and then uh there's a couple of love interests that that norman has like there's the the pretty popular girl at school who takes an interest in him at first and then there's the, the kind of the shy nerdy girl who he becomes friends with and she's like in love with him and and um, actually it's interesting because her dad is the town taxidermist who teaches him how he teaches Norman how to do taxidermy and it's just wow. it's, it's like it's connecting those things but it's doing it in a way that like you know this Norman he's a sweet kid he really I mean like he's got some issues but you kind of like early on in the show you're thinking you know if he would just go to a therapist but I mean, he probably could work through this and not wind up the way he does but then his mom just like there are some moments where you're like you know norman's a good mom like she really cares about her she's looking out for her son but then she'll do something she's so creepy or just so like Ew, what kind of relationship do they have like she's just you know um it's but it's it's interesting because even when they creep you out the way they behave you're still interested in them and you're still like even though you know how it's all going to play out, you're like, I hope somehow they don't wind up where they wind up. But from what I understand, like, no, they wind up where they wind up. I mean, it's, even though they've changed some things around and uh, the last season is kind of what they say, a reimagining of Psycho. It right. seems like it, it still hits all the major notes that, yeah, Norman's going to step out and start dressing like his mom, you know? So <laughs> anyway.
1: Well, after hey, you're the one who said this while we are at, at, right after we saw the movie or saw it on the big screen is that you said that you could, you could, you could picture Andrew Garfield. And I'm, I'm bringing this back to Spider-Man. Yeah. I, guess. Mm-hmm. I, I, I wasn't meaning to, but I am, but just everything comes like, around in a circle. It's <laughs> been a circle. There he goes. Here we go, folks. But in the, and when you told me that I was like, yes, he, he totally. favors him a lot. Mm-hmm. And you know, the, even the acting style, it, it really does. It just like, I went, Oh my gosh! I'm. It's like I was watching Andrew Garfield a little bit. I could, I but, could so, what,
0: I could so see you him know playing. What clued me in on it, so I, I didn't tell you this part. So Lauren and I, uh, my wife and I, we went to go see, um, the eyes of Tammy Faye, uh, the movie about Tammy Faye that okay. came out a while ago. Jessica Chastain, who was fantastic, like she just, she really, she should get an Oscar. She was so good. at Well, Andrew plays Jim Baker. And his demeanor, he nails Jim Baker, but there was something about his his accent, his voice, his demeanor at certain moments when we went to see Psycho, because I saw Tammy Faye before we went to see Psycho. When I was watching Anthony Perkins, I thought, oh, my gosh, I wonder if Andrew, like, in some weird way, like based some of Jim's like his performances, Jim off of Norman Bates, you know, because there were just these kind of elements like where he was just that like, Oh, shucks, you know, kind of like, no, that's not. And and so when I said that to you, uh, it was based largely on what I saw him do in that Tammy Faye movie. And yeah, I think, you know, if, if he had been born during Hitchcock's reign, I think he definitely would have given Anthony Perkins some stiff competition. Like I think Hitchcock would have been like, I don't know, this Andrew Garfield kid. He's really got, you know, um, I think, he, cause he's first of all, Andrew, I think is is a terrific actor and he is. my appreciation for him. Like I, I will be the first to say, I don't think I appreciated him enough when he was doing the Spider-Man movies, but since then going back to seeing those movies and then seeing him in other stuff like he's such a terrific actor and actually i wish there was a way that even though they've already done a remake of psycho in the movies um i, I wish they would do another one and, and cast him because i think he could really you know
1: you never know it may do something where like he plays um uh, you know he, where he plays uh anthony perkins you know like a document like a, yeah. like a, a movie on him or something mm-hmm. or some form or fashion of that or something. You never know how they may someday that may come come out.
0: Speaking of Anthony Perkins, I didn't get to mention this when we saw it. So his son, um, he has a son. Uh, His name is Oz, Oz Perkins. And he acted some, he did some bit parts here and there in some movies. I think he was in Legally Blonde, First one, but he's oh, yeah, uh, I
1: know, yes, he was a study partner for her, yes, yes. and uh, yes, I remember, yes, nerdy kind of dude, yes, 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 I know who he is. He's
0: a screenwriter and also a director, and um, he did a movie not too long ago, it was like a retelling of Hansel and Gretel. It was, you know, it wasn't like I won't say it was like there were parts of it that I thought were really like suspenseful and you know it it was kind of an uneven type of movie but there were things about it that I I really enjoyed but he is he's a really good filmmaker and I'm kind of like I wish he would do more horror type stuff because I think he's got a real knack for it like really creating almost like Hitchcock Hitchcock was great at creating a, a mood an environment where you didn't see like gory stuff but he created enough dread where you're like you were looking forward for the scene to be over because you're just like I'm so on edge right now. Like the shower scene in Psycho, I'm like, I, like this is this scene's got to end soon because I'm about to I'm about to jump out of the seat because it's so suspenseful. Um, Oz has a very similar um, skill. Like he he the Hansel and Gretel movie, I think it was called Gretel and Hansel, because it's mm. really from the girl's point of view more than. And, and the witch in it is like really, really creepy, but um, it really created a, a, the sense of like just atmosphere, like you didn't know what was going to happen next, you know, and everything. So, yeah, I, I just talking about Perkins made me think about his son and uh, his son's a really good, really good filmmaker. Um, but yeah, so Andrew Garfield, I, I'm going back to the Spider-Man trailer, even though he and Toby don't show up. Of course, all the fans are like watching the trailer frame by frame. And they're like, like they're, the big thing that I've been hearing is that there's a shot where you see the lizard. And he's like by himself, yeah. and he's like leaping in the air. And they're like, they they must have digitally removed somebody because it's like it looks like he gets kicked or hit or something because he's reacting to like something. Right. But there's nothing there. So they're like, that's probably Toby or Andrew. Um And then, of course, a lot of people were saying with the the shot in the trailer where MJ is falling and Peter's trying to catch her is very reminiscent of Of Stone and Gwen. And so there's people saying, it's probably going to be Andrew that saves her (laughs) or something like that, which, you know, I personally, I hope that Toby and Andrew return because, first of all, I, I, I will say this. I always felt like, Andrew was robbed of being able to do a third movie. Like I would have loved to have seen Andrew do a third Spider- Amazing Spider-Man just to kind of have his own trilogy. Yeah. Kind of like Toby did. Um, But one of the rumors that I I heard way, way back and it it may not even be true, but if it is true, I think it's a great idea. Uh, So, you know, from the Tom Holland films, they have never shown, at least as far as I can recall, they have never shown uncle Ben right it's always been like yeah. those movies started like after he became spider-man and they've only shown uh, aunt may well the rumor was that toby maguire's peter parker is the spitting image of uncle ben and so tom holland's peter really kind of gravitates to toby because it reminds he reminds him so much of his uncle ben and that toby spider-man is kind of like that mentor that Peter J Parker was to miles in into the spider verse, where it's like, he's an older Peter Parker, you know, he's experienced more and he's kind of becomes this kind of parental type of figure to Tom Holland's Spidey. And then with Andrew, he's more of kind of like something in between. He's like more of like a big brother to, to Tom. Um, but the one thing I wanted to mention before we before we wrap this up is what I'm really interested in seeing uh, is more of what they show in the trailer and how Doctor Octopus is engaging with Peter and MJ. Um, and uh, oh, why am I think blanking on his name right now? Peter's friend. I can see his face. What's his friend's name?
1: Ah.
0: Uh. I want to call him what like he was based on in the comic books, which was ganky, but that's not his name. Ned, Ned. That's what it is. Ned. Okay. Yeah. There's that scene where he's talking with Peter MJ, and Ned, and Ned. And it kind of gives me this sense of like, almost like in a weird way, like how Mysterio was in the second one where he's a villain, but he's like engaging with Peter. And, and so there were some fans that were commenting that like, well, When we last saw that Doc Ock, like he had actually kind of come to his senses and he was actually trying to help Peter before he got pulled into whatever that thing was. And so there's speculation that that's the same Doc Ock and that actually he is in control of his tentacles, where in the Spider-Man 2 movie, they were kind of controlling him or they had altered his, his, his behavior in some way. Right. And so that he's actually more in control of his faculties and that, you know, the whole thing that he was trying to do in that second movie was that, you know, he loses his wife to that experiment. And once he's aware of this multiverse, he's thinking, well, maybe there's a universe and where she still exists. And that maybe I can figure out how this multiverse works, that I could find her again. At least that's what the fans are saying that that might be that he's not. They're kind of putting him out there as a villain, but he may not actually be like a true villain. He may be more of like an anti-hero in the story. So it'll be interesting to see. I mean, um, Alfred Molina, who plays Doc, Doc Ock is uh, he's such a great actor. Um, I remember when I years back when they announced he was going to be playing Dr. Octopus, I just remember thinking that's such terrific casting because he's a really good actor. And, And I've always believed that like, the better the actor is, the better they're going to deliver on these villain parts, and, and the, certainly like Willem Dafoe, Alfred Molina, um, you know I think about Jack Nicholson and Batman, um, you know and so on. It's like, so yeah, he he was great as Doctor Octopus. I thought he was uh, he was really good. So I'm glad he's coming back, and it looks like we maybe yeah again, and and I know there was a glimpse of uh, Jamie Fox as Electro.
1: Yeah, I, I heard his voice. I saw yeah. a little glimpse There's of that. a glimpse
0: of him. And then, of course, yeah. it looked like, I'm assuming that was Sandman. Yeah. So I guess it's Thomas Hayden Church.
1: Maybe. Um, I mean, I'm like, I'm hoping. Yeah. And he was,
0: a now again, another great actor. I felt like he kind of got screwed over in Spider-Man 3.
1: Well, that's when they had, you know, the, the comic book movies are, are, are yeah. horrible at trying to have two it's or three villains
0: in there as we can. Exactly.
1: Yeah. And sometimes you're like going... And sometimes, sometimes you know, directors can can make it work with everybody. Sometimes it's hard; like someone gets slighted, you know, yeah. they don't get the right. Uh, but like you know, like Batman did that back in the you know the nineties, and yeah, they were you know everybody you know they so they did it just as much as Spider Man yeah. movies. No, I was going to mention um, this is I saw this. I don't how I came across it, but I guess I was looking up um, uh, by Anthony Perkins. Yeah. He was involved, he was involved, you know, he talked about his sons or his son and he had two sons,
0: That's but,
1: right. That's yeah, right. but he, uh, he was involved with a, with another male, w- with a guy, mm-hmm. which I think everybody knows he was, he was, he was gay yeah. you know, or yeah. whatever, you know, however, you know, and, but it was a guy named Grover Dale and I think he was like a choreographer. Mm. Yeah, whatever. Well, they both, they both were together for a while, maybe like six or so years. And they both ended up, marrying women and have and then right. both had children well the guy that, and, and i'm just kind of you know and i'm kind of this way when it gets to like on wikipedia whatever it's kind of like i start, start following the brick the, you know the down story. the rabbit
0: hole yep. yeah
1: down the rabbit hole and there i go but this is cool because this is, it goes back to durham north carolina whatever hmm. he married a woman named anita morris who's the address morris yes and a choreographer and all the dancer, singer and also the and their anita, son. Anita was, yeah, her and they had a son named James, James. Badgdale.
0: terrific actor.
1: He's a good, he's a great actor. Anita was born in Durham, North that's Carolina. Right. That's right. And unfortunately, she died. I think she died of cancer. Yeah. Uh, back beautiful in lady. Think, beautiful lady. Beautiful. Yeah, she was gorgeous. Yeah. Right. And that's kind of, I think I think I found her name because a redhead.
0: She's a yeah, she was beautiful. She was
1: in something with. She was in Down Out in Beverly Hills. Yep. She was 18 again. Yep. But. I forgot there's 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 something I've, I have forgotten where I got you know whatever but she yeah. but she's buried you know unfortunately she died I think she died of cancer let me see she if did. I'm correct she, she did. did she did ovarian cancer I know yeah. yeah and but she's buried in Maple View Maplewood Cemetery in Durham North Carolina and that's really cool really uh, for those of you who are listening uh, I mean like Chris and I are from Uh, The Durham Mary went to school in Mm -hmm. high school and elementary school and everything else in Durham.
0: Yeah,
1: and uh, and so we're still a little close by to Durham, and I work in Durham. So uh, that's just I don't know. It's just and I mean I'm not trying to be morbid. It's just that it's just really neat. I think I think Mm -hmm. it's cool that is that there's a connection to Anthony Park. I mean just neat and obviously like I said her son or their son. I I think he's still alive. I think her husband or her husband. um, Yeah, but James. Yeah, he's a yeah, he's a really because he's been in some really good stuff too. What's, James
0: um, was, uh, he yeah, he's done a lot of movies. He was in Iron Man, Iron
1: 3, Man three, but he the also, Long Ranger. Um, yeah,
0: he also uh, he did a television series. I want to say in the mid two thousands, early two thousands, um, for AMC, it was called um, Rubicon, and it was like an espionage thriller.
1: I never saw that, but i heard good things about it. He, that was a great
0: show. And unfortunately it only lasted one season, but he played the lead in it. And like, that was the first thing I ever saw him in. And I was like, I remember watching it with Lauren and just saying, I don't know who this guy is, but trust me, he's going to wind up moving on to bigger and better things. And sure enough, you know, he's been in some really high profile movies and uh, he's a, he's a great actor. Um yeah he was great in rubicon he was on
1: uh, he was on 24 and got nominated for that's right he
0: played uh Kiefer sutherland's like right hand man during the yep. second
1: chase, chase, chase. Yep, chase edmonds yep chase edmonds yeah
0: i think he no. gets his hand cut off at some point in the show or something like that but yeah great actor
1: yeah, he is. And so like I said, that's, you know, his mom was, you know, that's his name. I mean, just there's a Durham remember, connection there.
0: Yeah. And I remember Anita, like this was right. It was, was not long before she passed away. She came back to Durham for some sort of she was being honored or there was something, some sort of arts event in Durham. And she came back for it. And um, some friends that I had from school actually got to meet her. They were like either volunteering at this event or whatever. And they got to meet her. And I just remember them saying like, she was so sweet. And like, they just said, she knew she was an older woman at the time, you know, said that she was like one, one of the guys told me, he said, she is the hottest older woman I've ever laid eyes on. He's <laughs> like, he, I remember, <laughs> I remember him saying she like, he's, I couldn't stop looking at her. She was so pretty. Um, and she was, she was a beautiful lady. Um, but yeah, it was a real shame that, uh, she passed as early as she did. I forget how old she was when she, she
1: passed, was just fifty but, years old, man. So yeah. yeah, so she was. I mean, that's the epitome of uh, yeah. older, you know, the, yeah. the cougar, or she, whatever you want to call yeah, it. Yeah, I mean, she
0: was. Uh, she was like a she was a dancer um, in addition to being an actress. But but yeah, she was really buxom and just you know, um,
1: yeah, actress, singer, dancer. Yeah, yeah, she was on Broadway. I yeah. mean, that's how. I mean, she was in Jesus Christ Superstar, all right. Nine she received a Tony award nomination. So she, she definitely had, uh, you know, like theater as her, you know, was definitely in her book. And, and that's, I'm sure that's how she met Grover as well and her, her husband. And so, um, and so, it, so it's no, so it's no surprise that, that their son, you know, when it's, it's kind of like John Cryer's parents. I mean, they, yeah. I mean, it's like two, two, two theater parents in their, you know, the child is grew up around the, the so going into acting is not it's not surprising i mean yeah
0: um yeah it's interesting because you know i'm looking at some publicity photos of her and and i i see her son like they there's some features there like her eyes like remind like i see the resemblance the family resemblance between her and her son um but yeah i remember she did a movie i want to say with um george burns i think it was one of the last films he did
1: that 18 and again
0: it might have been yeah and i mean just i was thinking man she is yeah
1: 18 again that's it yeah, i mean
0: for an older lady she was yeah she was quite uh she was stunning
1: and she was in her 40s i mean she wasn't it wasn't like she was like uh you know yeah she, i mean she really wasn't i mean like 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 in those terms we you know we look at it is that way but like now you got women like Angelique Jolie and Gwyneth Paltrow and yep. uh, Sandra Bullock, you know, they're all in their fifties now and they're, you know, and you can't, they're, they're, they're gorgeous. I mean. Oh yeah. I mean, well, they're not Anita,
0: even... I mean I'm showing some of my um, theater roots here and talking about this. Anita, like she, she really kind of, one of her, the highlights of her career is she was in a musical on Broadway with um, actor uh, Raul Julia and it was a musical called nine and it's basically about this guy. I think he's like a film director and it's like a musical that like is about him and all of the women that he's loved in his life or whatever. And she plays one of the women that uh, was kind of like the object of his affection. And she like, wears this like little cat suit that's almost see-through and um,
1: ah, you know, it was, yeah. it was a
0: showstopper real showstopper because you know it's uh it's very provocative. Um, but yeah, she uh, I, I just saw a picture of her when she was young. I'm telling you what, man, I mean she looked great, you know, in her 40s and you know late 40s. But there's a photo of here of her here when she was in her looks like in her 20s, and she was just absolutely, just really just stunning, stunning, stunning actress. Yeah. She
1: was in uh she was in Blue City, which I know it's like a lot of people I don't remember, but this don't remember this movie. But those 80s people out there, you know, it had uh Ali Sheedy and Joe Nelson, you know, and David Caruso uh-huh. in it. And That's so that, was just, that you know, that was, I mean, that you know, it was one of those that get kind of lost about, you know, try, trying to team up some of the some of the you know, the Breakfast Club people back together, taking yeah. advantage of that. Um, and, and having a woman director as well back at the time, Michelle Manning. I mean, so that was you know, and she did, and Michelle Manning produced uh 16 candles and Breakfast Club. So it's kind of cool that she got them mm-hmm. back together, uh, as well. So yeah, neat.
0: so we're gonna have to uh venture out to Maplewood sometime and
1: yeah, I mean, pay our I, respects, exactly. I mean, I, I know there's some people who do, there's some guys. Um, I think there's a guy like Scott on tape. He's a he's a film location guy that I watch sometimes. Does film locations, but like he does a lot of. This guy does a lot of. Um, he'll do some mystery, the, like some true like true crime thriller type stuff. He'll he'll do some. He'll go to some locations and film that. But he but he does some he does some he, he does some famous cemetery things and, and i I never watched any of those and so I don't really know what what the take on that is um and everything but yeah it's just um but I mean I know there's some guys out there who 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 kind of like visit some famous graves type thing yeah. and stuff
0: uh, well since she's a you know, fellow Durham native, right oh yeah we should um maybe down the road we do an episode just kind of about her career because I'm I'm reading some stuff here about her and Um, It's, you know, I got to say, this is, this is pretty, this is a testament to her, her strength. So she was diagnosed with ovarian cancer um, in 1980. And she was the doctor only gave her five years to live. She lived for 14 years after her diagnosis. And apparently she really fought, um, you know, fought it. But uh, yeah, she's, she's got a really impressive um, track record here. I mean, you know, theater, film television um so yeah and uh like i said you know her uh her son turned out you know he's a terrific actor and
1: yeah i mean real, i mean that's like you know, i said that was one of those things i've just i just when you mentioned anthony perkins it got me thinking it's like wait a minute i just got through yeah i mean just a couple of weeks ago i was like i was i was went down that rabbit hole yeah and and found all that information about her and i was like oh yeah i was like
0: you know, um, I was just looking at uh, James's filmography, and he was in uh, Thirteen Hours, which is another movie. Uh, have you seen Thirteen Hours?
1: I don't. Sounds familiar. It's, I don't know. If it's the
0: one about uh, the Benghazi, the secret soldiers of Benghazi. Oh
1: no, I did not see that.
0: It's. I, I, I highly recommend it. It's uh, Michael Bay directed it, but it's got John Krasinski in it, and. Uh, um I'll have to else. watch that. Yeah, he's he's great in it. It's really really good. Uh, but yeah, he's um, yeah he's doing a he's still doing a lot of uh, television. Oh yeah, I mentioned Rubicon. He did that back. It was 2010 where he when he did Rubicon.
1: Um, well, I think it's cool today that actors can can jump back and forth between yeah. the TV, you know, from the silver to the you know. I like. I think I, I that's. Like that.
0: That's something, yeah, uh, you know, you're absolutely right. I I'm, I think there was a time where it, was, it wasn't it was like that, where if you were a film actor and you wound up on television, you were kind of seen as, oh, you, you're slumming it, or, you know, oh, your star is fading. The reverse was true, too. If you were a television actor and you made it to film, then you were like like a Bruce Willis, for example. It's like, yeah, you're on your way up. Yeah, you I made think, it. Yeah, but I think it's changed a lot now where because there's so many good television shows that are being made, where you know, it's like actors are like, I'll go wherever there's good work. And if it's a good show, like I look at somebody like Brian Cranston with Breaking Bad, um, you know, I mean, he had been largely doing television before that, but you know, he's also done film. But um, you know, there are lots of actors I think who I consider they're film actors, but like Kevin Costner with uh, Yellowstone. Like, that's, you know, there there's just that bias that there used to be. I think it's gone now where it's like they'll just go wherever the good work is. Oh, it's you know, like Matthew McConaughey
1: did. He did True Detectives on that's HBO. That's right. Then Woody Harrelson. Went back to, said, yeah. And then went back to doing, I mean, it wasn't like it didn't affect it. And I think that kind of goes back to the movie you mentioned earlier, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. It's like that would have showed you how yeah. it was almost, you know, kind of story about. Yeah. It was almost like the kiss of death for him. You know, that oh, guy yeah. was you know doing all those doing all those guest stars on
0: yeah being the villain
1: being the villain and all yeah. that kind of stuff and you know he was getting told well you know
0: speaking of once upon a time in hollywood i don't think i told you this but so quentin tarantino wrote um a novelization of once upon a time in hollywood and i picked it up and it provides a lot of backstory and it's slightly different the movie it's it's kind of like i I think what he was doing is like it's almost like oh the novelization was based on an earlier draft you know it's different kind of like how some of those novelizations would differ from the final film um i'm only about halfway through it but uh, it adds a lot of detail about cliff brad pitt's character and it changes around changes up some of the scenes and and what happens in them um it also explains about whether or not Cliff really killed his wife.
1: Yeah I'm yeah I'm really... yeah
0: and uh but it's it's good. I'm I'm about halfway through it. I've been kind of reading it off and on, but uh it's fun. It's a fun read. And I'll tell you when I finish it I'll pass it on to you. you uh, Do, Cause yeah. I
1: like this I like
0: it's the... good. I'll tell you we've talked about this before and I know we gotta wrap this up, but I love Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I just I can't get enough of that movie. And I don't I mean it's like I've seen it probably four or five times now and say it's, it's it's just something about it it's like i think it's a it's a long movie but it goes by so fast and i just it's kind of like it's a movie i can just sit back and kick back and just watch and it's just i just enjoy it it's just it's so good it's very
1: enjoyable it. and he, yeah. he just gets it i don't know how i don't know how he touched the right the right elements, you know what I'm saying? Like you mentioned yeah. about Marvel earlier, about hitting certain, you know, knowing your audience, knowing your yeah. your stuff. It's like somehow or another he just he, you know, it's it's great casting, like everything you talked about earlier about the stuff. It's like yeah. great casting, great story, great script, but hits it just hits the right marks uh, the yeah. right spots and it's it, just it really resonates, I guess. It's, yeah,
0: it's just entertaining. And like Tarantino, I mean, I've always liked Tarantino. I will say not all of his movies, like when I look at them, like subject matter wise, I'm like, Meh. but yeah. when I watch them, I'm thoroughly entertained. And, Definitely. and just, I think he's just so good at what he does that, uh, you know, I mean, obviously he knows film inside and out. I mean, he can quote you chapter and verse on all kinds of movies and he's, you know, just a, a craftsman at what, what he does. But I think he just he knows what's entertaining and he just he gets it he just nails it um and so there's even his movies that have been less less well received like i'm trying to think one um one that i was kind of reluctant to watch just because i you know i was like eh, yeah, i've heard mixed things about it was uh, inglorious bastards and i just wound up like this movie
1: i awesome. enjoyed it too yeah
0: like christoph waltz is like one of the best film villains. I mean, he is so awesome. And Brad Pitt, I mean, they're all just again, but I will say this, and then we can kind of wind this down. Um, I have never before, until Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, have wanted Tarantino to do a sequel. Like, I want another movie with Cliff and um, with, um, why am I blanking on Leo's character? Um, Bounty Law with... What's his name?
1: Rick. Rick, Rick, Dalton. Rick.
0: Dalton. Rick Dalton. Gosh, I can't. As many times as I've seen it, Rick know. Dalton. Rick Dalton. Um, I would. I just. I want to see like a sequel about them going into like the seventies or the even the eighties. Like you know, just kind of like revisiting them and like what happens
1: after. That you know, would be. That would be a nice take. It yeah, would be because they're so
0: good together. Like Leo and Brad, they have. They're. Like, why they haven't done more movies together because they have such good on screen chemistry. Like, you just totally like
1: it's they had the same kind of chemistry that that Brad Pitt has with like George um, Clooney, George Clooney, yeah. And, Matt old school? and let me go to high school
0: for a second. Their chemistry reminded me of Paul Newman and Robert Redford,
1: yes, like, can, yeah, you know,
0: like Butch Cassidy. Uh, the sting like they just they're just well, you know oceans
1: i mean like oceans 11 was a great movie yeah and that, that 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 group of cast had a great and and you could tell that george clooney and brad pitt and matt those guys enjoyed working together they had totally. such fun and and i yeah. think i think the same could be said from this movie it had a different a little bit different tone but there's a lot of they've really you could tell they had some the fun I, on it.
0: Yeah, I know. It's like, I can't help but think they had a blast filming yeah. that with, with Quentin. I yeah. mean, it just it just comes through. There's just like like this energy to it that like like the scenes where they're, like the one scene where they come up, they, uh Cliff goes over to Rick's house. They're going to watch that episode of the FBI that he's starring in. Like the whole thing where he's like, you know, he's pointing at the television when he comes up, like that whole thing. Like, I think it's like, just their friendship it's just kind of like it's just cool seeing them hang out and like just the scenes that they're in it's just how it unfolds it's like it is definitely like a buddy movie
1: yes Um, yes
0: you know but even like the way it it all ends you know where cliff's going into the the ambulance you know and like they're just kind of like the way it kind of ends it's like tarantino has said that he's only going to do i think one more film and then he's going to retire but i'm just like dude you can't leave us hanging man you got to do another
1: yeah cliff, like the Rick and cliff movie. well you know what was cool i mean this is we were out there a few years of you know a few summers mm-hmm. ago we were out in california vermont i mean you know crystal had a a uh conference in, in Las Vegas. And then my uncle had passed away and we went to, that's right. We I remember and that. we, and we, we went to the, uh, to, 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 the memorial service for my uncle.
0: Yeah.
1: But we, but we, we took a day, we took two days and we went into LA with the, we did Disneyland with the boys. And then we did a little bit of, we did a movie tour mm-hmm. and, then did, and, and then did a little bit of movie location stuff. Where I went to the karate kid and that kind of, so, and back to the future, you know, Marty's house, which is really neat, but, when we went on the movie tour, you know, the and Logan was probably nine, ten, about ten at the time. It's about 10, I guess, 10. Yeah. And, and so like he he's getting into it. he's he's getting excited. And so they're talking about it, said, oh, they just got through filming this movie last week. They they had that stuff set up. It's um, you know, like once upon a time in Hollywood. And 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 I had heard, I mean, I've been reading, I heard stuff mm-hmm. about, you know, about it. I didn't know much about it, but I heard about it. There was a Tarantino film, all this kind of stuff. And so like he was pointing out stuff how they just had stuff changed on the on the street and whatever and it wasn't I mean like they had I guess they had already but like I didn't know what to look for cuz cuz I hadn't seen the movie so I didn't know what you know I was supposed to be really like looking for but it was I was like man I really wish I could have uh yeah been there like a week or two weeks before and saw you know like like saw some you know sets set up or whatever yeah During that, that'd have been really cool. Yeah,
0: it's it's like they did such a great job of like reconstructing Los Angeles during that time period, and like that one scene, it's a it's a long scene where Brad Pitt is driving home and he's driving through downtown L.A. and he's going past all these landmarks and stuff. And I remember thinking like, if any of this is CGI, it's really good CGI. But then I found out that no, a lot of this they
1: you know, they did. They changed it. They built it
0: and changed stuff to make it look like Los Angeles of the late sixties. And um, it's like stuff like that. I mean, it's like the closest thing like to going back in time because they right. did such a great job. The attention to detail that like that scene, I love watching it just because it's like, man, <laughs> LA in the late sixties looks awesome. It looks <laughs> like it. it probably was a blast to go tearing down the road you know in your convertible or something Yeah, those like are
1: those are places that you would want to go back and visit if you had a yeah. time machine. You would yeah, that's where absolutely. you would want to you wanted to for sure. Absolutely. And I
0: got to say Cliff had the, like the best hangout. He's got like a mobile home behind a drive-in movie theater, you know, and like and that awesome dog of his. Like I I fell in love with that dog. Um it's the coolest movie dog cool. I've, I've ever yeah. seen. Just that in the she
1: Oh, that was all oh mine. That
0: she tears was great. Into those, those Manson hippies. <laughs> <laughs> that one guy. She like made him a eunuch. Yeah, but, uh, but yeah, but yeah. As soon as I finish the novelization, I'll hand it off to you. Um, it's it's good. It's definitely worth. You know, if you if you like the movie, it definitely oh, it gives definitely. you a little more of it in a different way. So it's good.
1: Oh man, I love that stuff. I mean, yeah, yeah, I love the yeah.
0: Well, this has get been fun. It. Like this episode, yeah. you know, it's not a commentary, um, but uh, I think we covered a ton of stuff. This for those cover a lot of stuff. Th- for those li- listening, this kind of, this really mirrors, like whenever Garrett and I would get together for lunch or for dinner, we'd, we'd just sit here and talk about this kind of stuff. So, which it's is kind actually, of
1: this way. It jumps around from thing to thing. And does, sometimes, it's we and sometimes we circle back. Sometimes we circle back to do. it. It's kinda... We sometimes come
0: back around to where we started, mm-hmm. but yeah. this actually, those conversations is what kind of, Let the spark for me like we should do a podcast because you know just always enjoy these conversations but as much as we
1: do but that's okay we (laughs) you know we're having a good time i'm sure others who
0: yeah would enjoy what we're talking about you know it's movies and all that good stuff but yeah we'll have to do this again um you know in between all of our commentaries and all of our future episodes but yeah this was a lot of fun Thanks for joining us this week for our grab bag conversation. Let us know what you think. Would you like to hear more of these chats? Is there a movie you'd like for us to cover in an upcoming episode? Drop us a note at Instagram at the Midnight Movie Snack Podcast. And be sure to check out Garrett's YouTube channel, All Things 80s with Garrett, for a lot of great videos about movies, locations, music, and much more. We're off next week for Thanksgiving but we've got a special episode on the way for your holiday enjoyment. Until then, have a great weekend, and we will see you soon. Adios.